Greetings, fellow imps. I'm Imp Fossil Tom Henske, and I'd like to welcome you to From Nowhere to Now Here, Where Incarnate Memories Prevail. Like many incoming first years, I entered the university a blank canvas. You get it, nowhere. But four years later, I grew to now here. And when I look back at that transformation, it was the friendships that I built through the imps that were a huge part of that growth. But where did everyone end up? I'm going to take us on a journey to find them, to catch up with the friends we've lost touch with. And in doing so, my mission is to rekindle these amazing relationships. Jonathan Blank, otherwise known to the rest of the imp population as JTB. What's happening, man? Welcome to Incarnate Memories Prevail from nowhere to now here. I, it is great to be here and to T-Ski as we know him. It is wonderful that you are doing this. And I'm uh, honored to be the second guest. And I absolutely loved uh, the first one. Yeah, Ross was tough to beat, right? He was the one who got us all going during uh, the pandemic uh, with our monthly meetings. So it was fitting that he was the first one. So that was awesome. Your, yours is actually a tougher interview for me because we live together. So that means this interview could go like five hours, but don't worry, other imps, we're not gonna let it go five hours, I promise. But it could be, we have a lot to talk about. We'll try not to do the general chit chat catch up, but let's just get right into it. So. Okay, take me back, right? You're in high school, Douglas Freeman High School in Richmond, Virginia, and probably graduating, I don't know, probably about 1988, and you decide to go to UVA. Take me through what happened there. Tom Burns and Freddie are going to hate this because my dad was a Hokie. He went to Virginia Tech. I grew up cheering for the Hokies. I hated the Hoos growing up, and I thought I was going to go to Princeton and I came up for a Jefferson Scholar interview, which I didn't get, uh, but I, I was on the lawn and I, I absolutely fell in love. I fell in love with the first tree on the right side of the lawn and I have never gotten it out of my system. I wanted to come here and I was smitten and it was, it was wonderful. So I, that was my story for, for UVA. It was, it was, it was, probably destiny that I ended up here because of that, that tree on the lawn just kept calling me, Jonathan, come, come to Whoville. So uh, we're going to talk about it later because you liked it so much. You never left. We couldn't get rid of you. Uh, but we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later. So, okay. You start UVA where old dorms, new dorms, where were you? So I was in the new dorms. I was in Webb. I was an Eccles scholar, and you will hear more about this, but Calvin Schneider, who ends up being the king, was in my suite, and I, I was, a, I was a, a new dormer, and unbeknownst to most people, I was playing poker pretty much every other night until two or three o'clock in the morning over at Watson. Uh, but I, I loved, I loved uh, Webb, and what will also come out in this story not in my suite, but Dave Eisner and Mike Smith were in Webb, and uh, they became, you know, with Calvin, some of my closest friends in the world, and they were definitely such a huge part of my UVA experience. And that was probably even before you knew Calvin was such a good cook, right? You didn't figure that out until much later. That's all the more reason to hang out with Calvin, right? Absolutely. His mother was the, the real was the genius and she was such a beautiful woman and it inspired him. So I knew that he the, if the apple didn't fall far from the tree, he was going to get it because she was such an amazing cook. But yes, uh, Calvin, we, we started off first day, first year. So I know all of the academic stories and those are uh, probably beyond the scope of an imp call. So I remember knowing that you were a Phi Beta Kappa and I had to look up what that meant and that was before Google. So, and then I remember looking it up and I think it said you had to have a 3.8 GPA or something like that. And I said, well, 3.8, that doesn't seem to be so great. And then I found out it was on a four point scale, not a six point scale. So you, 
you were you were a smart guy, and did you know right away that law was going to be your your destiny, or was it something that you figured out later in school? No, I knew right away. I, I was born to a legendary trial lawyer. My father's one of the the great lawyers uh, in the Commonwealth of Virginia, and I was carrying his briefcase from the time I was seven. And he was also very interested in politics, and so he ingrained in me. Uh, being involved in politics at an early age. And so I knew very early on that I wanted to be a lawyer and I was following in his footsteps. And then the political arena came very shortly thereafter when I was 12 years old, I got active in, the, in, in politics. And when you were active in politics, at the was it at the university? Were you involved in anything there other than just general elections or anything like that? So it's, it's interesting, the people think back and think, well, blank was just a politico. And I really wasn't involved. I, I did first year student council, but after that, I wasn't, I wasn't involved in student council, honor, judicial. I wasn't um, a guide. I wasn't involved in the politico scene. I was involved in the political scene. I was very engaged in, in politics in Virginia. I was working for Governor Wilder's chief policy staff, I was I was going back. I actually did it as a, a special uh, class. I spent a half a semester in, in Richmond going back and forth. I worked for Governor Wilder's speechwriter. I was working on campaigns, so I was very political. But I wasn't a a, a political in the pol politico sense, which was interesting as we got into uh, being into the imps because there were a lot of politicos. I really wasn't one of them, but as time went on, people associated me with being a, a politico, which I never thought was a negative. I thought was a positive because I was very involved in politics, but I really wasn't engaged in, in many of the traditional activities that a lot of imps were. And so I know we're supposed to talk about this later, but I can't help myself and ask now. <laughs> so are you still involved in politics? Where is that today? I'm still very heavily involved in politics. I am a Democrat. I have been the chair of the Democratic Party in Charlottesville. I consult with major political figures in, on the Democratic side. And so I'm, I'm very engaged in elections and campaigns and trying to help foster a better, more civil environment uh, than we've been in over the last uh, at least five years if not longer. And so I'm, I'm heavily involved. I have always thought that I would run. I've come close a couple of times, but I uh, have not done so yet. And those may still be in my cards, uh, but not, not yet. What would it take to flip the switch for you to enter? It really would take a family decision. And for those who have not followed my path, uh, I married an imp, which we will get to hopefully my uh, definitely better half, but we have two sets of twin daughters and they have colored the decision along the way. They are now 14 and 10 and they, um, well, I think they would be way behind it. It is, it is a very difficult decision when you have children to put them in the political arena. So tell me like the imps, how did that all go down? Besides that you were just circling with all the people who were in the imps, but what happened? How did it, how did you get initiated? Give me the whole scoop. When I got initiated, I really will trace my lineage back to the king of the imps at the time, a gentleman uh, or named Pete Van Duzer. And I say gentleman because he was, while he was a face man, he was as nice of a person that you could, you could imagine. He was called PDD, Pete Van Dusen. And I was in DTD and Pete was in DTD and Pete saw that I was engaged in all these political things outside of the university. And he was the king of the imps and he, he was the reason I, I that I got into the imp society. I, I, Mike was in the, Mike Smith was also already in the imps and we knew each other. And, it, and stayed friendly, but I really trace it back to PVD. And Pete uh, brought me in, and I can't for the life of me remember the joke, Tom. I wish I could, but I, I'm, I'm, I know he pulled something on me. It was definitely Pete. I remember going to college in, and I just was, I was blown away. I, it, it really was a life-changing event for me. 
and here was Sin Mathis and Steve Wilt and Wilty is or and, and it was just a different world. And these the athletes, I was an athlete in in high school, and I was hugely into UVA sports. And I was here, I was surrounded by all these people, whether it was judish or honor or guides and athletes. And for me, it was it was extraordinary, uh, even as I was navigating a national political scene. Here I was at the university, surrounded by the leaders. And it was it was really a life changing event for me. Why life changing? What does that mean to you? Well, it was life changing to me because if you look at my history of the of the imp society, I eventually gained a wife out of it um, <laughs> because Susan <laughs> chose to marry me. So that was life changing. I, I I got some of my my lifelong best friends um, out of out of the imp society. Um, you know, Dave and and Mike come up. We we went to Europe together. We still very close. I was on the phone with Mike before I got on this call. I end up with you who is, you know, uh, become, you know, like a brother Ross, who I knew out of other, other, uh, uh, uh arenas, but we became very close Calvin, who was a roommate, but again, through, through the M society and, and, you know, the list goes on and on Tim Cunahir and Amy Breen, um, at the time. Um, and then, you know, some of my, my closest friends during that time period, uh, you know, Fleming uh, Cunningham and Tony Irving, who are now back at the university during that time period. And then you go all the way through, I, I because I was there so long, Gray McLean, Justin Rosalino, um, Matt Fisher, Maria Doyle, you know, that you have all these people that um, came into my life through the Imp Society that changed my whole way of thinking and perspective. Uh, and then back to the, you know, we, I don't think we lose, we can't lose sight of how important bringing the athletic community in, you know, Charles Way and Ted Jeffries, Havlicek. Um, I, I had these relationships that I, I would not have seen not only the, the, a different side of the university, but really a different side of the world, the perspectives that the imp, the different perspectives that the imp brought uh, to me and allowed me as uh, a stepping stone to the rest of the world was just extraordinary. And I look back at that time and I think, thank God for Pete Van Dusen. I mean, he really, he changed the trajectory, getting a little emotional, he changed the trajectory of my life by bringing me into the Institute. I do want to talk about a couple, few people from my year, um, Jan Gilbreth and George Glyphus, uh, but also Adam Arthur and Kenny Heath. And Kenny passed away. And, you know, I, I think back of us walking down the lawn uh, on graduation. I'm hoping that the, the students get to do that. And, and it was a it was a really misty, uh, overcast morning. And, and I, I still have this vivid memory, which takes me again all the way through sort of I get to walk around the university. I did it today. I walked down Rugby Road. I went through the lawn. I, you know, I, I I walk all over the place and I see the ghosts of everybody. It really brings back these extraordinary memories. And so I really want the imps to come back, come back to Charlottesville, enjoy Charlottesville. It, it's still such a special place. But I, I, I do have a, I, I want to tell the Courtney Page story because it, it goes back to how much you were caring and loving. And the Courtney Page story to me, again, it sort of embodies the imps in a lot of different ways. I did not have a lot of money when I was in, in law school. I was by no means poor. My parents did have means, but I, I was, I, I really didn't have, you know, wasn't going out. I wasn't extraordinary, lavish expenses. And I, I did come short on meals every now and then, and you knew it and you didn't want me to go hungry and you would take me over to Brian Hall. And, <laughs> and here I was again, I was, I, I love the athletes. You know, TJ took me to the NCAAs in, in Salt Lake City for the first round where he went up against Sean Bradley. And I remember walking into that arena and Sean Bradley literally reached up about 14 feet up into the stands to shake somebody's hand. I was like, oh my God, Ted and John Crotty are in deep trouble. But I, I had this love affair with, with the athletes. Matt London was our year and would throw football to us on the lawn. The guy didn't throw an interception the entire year. He was in the imps and here I was getting to play football with him again, throughout this whole thing, but you, the consummate athlete, Brian Hall, 
and knew that I was struggling, missing a meal here or there. And you would take me to Brian Hall. And we, we would sit there and, you know, this incredible lavish uh, buffet or feast. And you said, I, you got to meet this woman, Courtney Page. She is hysterical and she should be an imp one day. And lo and behold, she comes in, you know, they were cross country runners and they, they were, you know, the fittest athletes on the planet. And Courtney sits down, you introduce me and one of her teammates leaves and she says, watch this, watch this. And she takes Tabasco and she loads up the Tabasco (laughs) and somebody, the athlete comes out and spits it. And Courtney says, I think that's funny. And she picks up the, the bowl of cereal and she dumps it on her head. And I'm thinking, this is, this is, this is out, this is outrageously funny, incredible. And, and lo and behold, she's, she was just this brilliant, creative mind. Um, and, you know, I, I got to know her later in, in Richmond. She actually married someone that I, I grew up with. Um, but that was sort of the embodiment, not just being around the athletes, but all these personalities, but you taking care of me and taking care of each other. Again, I, another story of the imps and, and how much that meant to me back then was I, I still remember it like it was yesterday. So, and then the other story that I got to tell uh, Billy May, who hopefully will be listening to this, and this is sort of the the, the serendipity of the of the imps. But the serendipity of the imps, the Mike and 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 Dave and I go to Europe after our fourth year, backpack around Europe, and we got we actually I talked him into this uh, a long story about it, which I will not get into. But we we bought tickets. That you didn't have a you didn't have a date that you were leaving. You gave a five day window and you gave five cities on the East Coast. You got a call 48 hours before and you had to show up at the airport and they would fly and they drop you off somewhere in Europe. And it was a ticket. It was like a hundred bucks. So we ended up flying out of New York and we flew into Madrid and we had different scenarios of where we would fly. We drop into Madrid early morning and we're walking. Um, through the streets, I think it was in Madrid, and we're walking through the streets and we bump into Billy Met. Now, what's the chance that that happened? And, and so to me, that is, but if you look back at all these sort of intersections for imps, PDD being my, you know, in my fraternity, getting me in there, me getting to meet you, you know, and, and our friendship, uh, Dave and Mike, and, and then, Susan and Gray and, and all these people that, 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 you know, just by chance that we, we get our intersections cross and are allowed to do these great things. I just look back on the imps and just think, you know, how, how lucky, how lucky I am and how, how, how lucky I was and how lucky I continue to be. So I know I, hopefully I'm not boring anybody with these stories. I, I've got lots of them and I can tell some funny ones on you and others. Uh, but I will uh, hopefully be, listening to a lot of people telling a lot of stories as you embark on this wonderful gift that you're doing for us. I mean, I remember that Courtney Page story. (laughs) Um, Ironically, Courtney called me yesterday. Just randomly picked up the phone, called. I could not stop laughing the rest of the day. I was in tears (laughs) laughing. Like literally we were on the phone for 15 minutes. And in typical Courtney fashion, she goes, it, it was, I think, probably 1.31 p.m. And she goes, oh, crap, I was supposed to be on a call a minute ago. Got to go. Love you. Bye. And that was it. That was it. It was like, so Courtney, it was like, perfect. Perfection. So, yeah, and were- my only, my only, my only debutante ball that I ever went to, again, she invited me. It was her debutante. Um and uh, and a bunch of imps came down. We went to Richmond, and it was you know extraordinary the perspective that I got to see because I that was not part of uh, my life uh, growing up in, in Richmond. And so these gifts continue to give and continue to give. And you know Ross, I didn't speak enough about him during this, but it, you know he he really did also embody the imps, and I think you ca- he captured that, and you captured it. it um, with things that, again, I, I didn't know even as close as I was, his perspective on it, but seeing seeing his eyes and the different perspectives of how people came through the M Society and, and viewed it in different ways, I think that just 
enriches the fabric of, of the imp society. Man, there's nothing better than going through all these war stories because we have a ton of them and it was fun. Gosh, it was fun. And you're, you're still living in it. Uh, you know, being that you're still on Rugby Road, you're like hotel imp going on there, right? Gosh, there, you've seen I, more people coming through your house than, than uh, the Holiday Inn. It is so fun. It is so fun for people to come in and, and us getting to visit. And I, I think one of the things that I, 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 you know, that I haven't done enough of, we talked about it. Um, Phil Gates is here. I have not gotten to see him as, as much as I would have uh, liked to. And, and hopefully I can correct that. But again, another person who just brought this extraordinarily rich um, experienced us as an, an older imp in the imp society and, and letting us see the world through such a different lens. But yeah, the people come back and we get to spend a lot of time. And I've gotten to be really friendly with imps that have come after us that I, I didn't know very well. I, they were way past my time, but Bo Greenwood, for example, who lives here, another great, incredible athlete who is become like a little brother to me um, and his, his wife, Meg, Megan uh, Greenwood, you know, I, people come back and we, 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 you know, come to rugby road. We'll, we'll meet as Mr. Mead said, let's go take a walk. We'll go walk on the lawn and that the place continues to be extraordinarily special. And the gift of Tony coming back, Tony Irving relocating um, back to Charlottesville teaching at Darden. She's been, just an infectious uh, soul to my children and to me over, during COVID and, and really just an, just an extraordinary rekindling. We, we you know, maintained a friendship and close over the years, but having her around the corner, like Gray and, and, and Sarah, but now having her here, um, it's just been really neat uh, to, to see her and, you know, I don't get to see Mike and Macy a lot, but when I do, you know, the sparks are there seeing the smiles and thinking back to, to be on the lawn with them. And it's just, it's a lot of fun. So people come back to Charlottesville, enjoy it, hang out. Well, we're going to put all your contact info in the show notes and uh, maybe we'll have like a, like an, a reservation uh, app in there too. So people can reserve the guest room downstairs ahead of time. That's, uh, it's awesome, man. It's awesome to see your love for the university. And because of that, the love for us, it's just awesome. And I hope that everyone listening to this is passing this podcast along. As you know, we're creating a little mailing list so we can get it out. So you get your email on the mailing list so I could get uh, people on here. We need to start getting different generations. So you mentioned Bo, he's definitely gonna be on. I know you know Raj Doshi, he, we're gonna get him on. Ryan Hargraves, I mean, the list goes on and on and we go and then go the other way for maybe some imps that are, are a little bit older. Um, so yeah. if you have any suggestions for guests, send them off to me. We'd love to have people on. Raj, you know, I mean, again, it, you know, another incredible story, a post-imp imp connection that you helped. Um, we just get seated together at a dinner and connect through you because we start talking about you. And then, you know, we've had all these extraordinary interactions in New York and with you. And I just can't wait for everyone to be vaccinated and we can get back on the road to seeing people and being with people, uh, you know, Jan, Schwartz Gilbreth, we talk about, I haven't mentioned her, but in interacting with her during this COVID period and watching her step up in the leadership that, that she has exhibited, you know, the imps continue to step up and come back to Charlottesville. Do not be afraid to reach out to me. Uh, I've gotten more out of the imps than I could ever give back. And I, I'm, I'm, I'd love to give back to, to any of you that reach out. You, you talked about perspective and, um, I wanted to talk about that because recently uh, during the pandemic, you penned a letter to the Richmond Times Dispatch and it was really impactful to me to read. And I'm wondering if you could talk about it and just give us a little background as to what happened. Sure. And interestingly enough, uh, the, the letter ends up becoming um, part of a new re relationship with a gentleman named BK Fulton, who's an entrepreneur, was president of Verizon, started a movie studio. 
Um, and then he and I wrote a book together called The Tale of the Tea uh, that's partially based on this letter. And uh, yesterday it won, I haven't even told you this, it won a silver award by the Nonfiction Authors Association. So uh, the book's now a national award winner, which was uh, a shock to me. But back to the letter, I went to Douglas Freeman. Um, it was the home of the rebels. Uh, at, I was you know, president of my class four years. Our mascot was Johnny Reb. Our, our, our school emblem was the Confederate flag. We made um, uh, our homecoming floats were the Confederate flag. And it, it just didn't dawn on me. Uh, 1988, I graduated. I mean, we're older now, maybe old in some people's eyes, but that, that wasn't that long ago. And here we were glorifying the lost cause. And I, I fast forward and there was this question of should they've gotten rid of the Confederate flag, but should they still have the rebel name? And it was a no brainer to me. We, we needed to rid ourselves of this glorification of the lost cause and the Confederacy. And so I wrote this letter to the, to the Times Dispatch after reaching out to African-American classmates. And I didn't, there weren't many, as I looked back on it, I did not have that many African-American classmates. And, and, and I asked them, you know, how did it feel the homecoming prisoners, the, the treasurer or African-American one who I knew since preschool and how much of a, a, a horrible effect that it had on students of color and minorities. And so it was a no brainer to write this, this letter saying the time had come, let, let us get rid of not only the, the name rebels, which they ultimately did and changed it to Mavericks, but I thought they should rename the school. So it was, it was easy for me to write, although I did get a lot of interesting reaction to it that made it in hindsight, it probably wasn't as easy for people to receive. And then during this time, George Floyd it had happened, um, the, the tragedy that, uh, of George, George Floyd and really of our society right now. And I ended up in this communication with this gentleman, B.K. Fulton, and we wrote this book that's called The Tale of the Tea, which I learned because he gave a speech to VCU, and I'm sorry I'm rambling on, but he gave this speech about how all these people in the margins, many of of color and, and African-Americans who invented all these inventions of filament and the light bulb, and they get no credit. And one of them was the inventor of, of the golf tee. You think of golf being this lily white sport of privilege, and the, the, the one apparatus that no golfer would do without was invented by an African-American before the turn of the, the, the century in, in the late 1800s. So anyway, the long story, that that is talking about perspective, it gave me a whole new perspective, not just of Douglas Freeman, but my time also at the university. Let's switch gears a little bit. Let's talk about your family. You mentioned them a couple of times already. And uh, tell me about the courtship of when stuff started up with Susan. Where did it start? Did it start in school? Was it an after school thing? What happened? It was the imps. So again, back to, back to the imps. Um, Susan was brought in. I was in law school and I met her at, you know, after the tapping, I didn't know her very well at all. And I went to the dirty joke banquet. I came from the law school. It already had been going. It, it had, you know, a lot of uh, drinking had been going on and toasting. And um, I was a designated driver. Uh, and so I, she actually got in the car and I'm, I'm sort of met her really for the first time uh, at, at during me driving them to the white spot and protecting them from, uh, you know, people hitting on them. And so I got to be friends with her then. She was close with uh, Maria uh, Doyle at the time. And, and um, actually, I, I think Maria didn't even come into the picture until later. I knew Justin and Gray really well because they were in DTD. And she was friends with them. And so as we fast forward over the summer, one person that I, I, I've also just had a profound impact on my life was uh, Boots Mead. And he really, he, he really, he did also change my life. And he had this seminar, which was, you know, part Z's and part imps, very small. Susan was in the seminar and he, I would eat dinner with him. I'm going to come back to that story in a second, how that came about. 
And he told me to ask her out. He said, there's this woman in my class. She doesn't speak very often, but when she speaks, everybody listens. And you're old enough in the financial, you know, advising. It's an EF Hutton, you know, it it was sort of in my head. (laughs) So I asked her out. She tells the story. What a weirdo I was because I invited her to Mr. Mead's house for dinner. That was our first date. And the rest was history. He gave, you know, the blessing at our, our wedding. But back up the year before, how I got really close with Mr. Mead was at an imp, an imp tapping. And it was our fourth year. And they had banned alcohol from the lawn because the tapping used to start on the lawn. But they banned it. And Mike Smith asked for the vice president to allow us to, to use his garden because they hadn't bound banned alcohol from the garden. So we had this. And one of our friends was the editor of the CD. And of course, on Monday morning, there was this article about how the imps were elitist and they got all these favors and Mike should be brought up on honor charges. And Mr. Mead had a quote in there that said, um, they, they interviewed him. Were you there? And he said, I was there. And the, 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 um, he said something like the drinks and the, uh, company were both equally, uh, uh, exceptional. And I, and he, and I thought, what a cool thing for a professor to stand up for the students. And so I'd met him a little bit before where he said, call me for dinner. And I called him and I said, you're not going to remember me, but you gave this quote and it just meant so much to Mike and to the rest of us. And he said, well, you never came over for dinner. You got to come over for dinner. So I said, well, I'm, I'll come over for dinner. So I started coming over for dinner, um, really the end of my fourth year. And I, I continued to eat dinner at Mr. Mead's house off and on. Even when I left, I would come back. And he was the one that said, go ask Susan out. So it's wow. all back to the imps, Tom. It's back to the imps. I'm telling you, had this profound effect on my life. Tell me about the girls. Tell me about the two sets of twins you mentioned earlier. Yeah, so they're they're extraordinary. 14 and 10. Maddie is a clone of me, and and uh, Alex Alexander is a clone of Susan, and Caroline and Isabel are sort of a cross mix of of, of the two of us. And they keep me uh, keep me young, and they definitely are making me old. If if y'all saw this on video, you'd see that I don't have much hair left, and I'm gray, and I blame them all the time. But they're super fun. They're super smart, and they have made uh, they've made life just in- incredible and extraordinary. But it is very loud in my house. It is a lot of activity. As Tom has been to my house, has <laughs> seen there is they, they they like to talk. They like to engage, and they're super wicked smart. So it's it's uh, it's a challenge all over the all over the place. It's awesome. That's an awesome family, and I have seen that firsthand. Anyway, let's talk a little about law school. You couldn't get the whole UVA thing out of you, so you had to stay for another couple of years. So tell me about that. Was there any thought ever of going anywhere else, or was it always just you're staying in Charlottesville? I really wanted to stay in Charlottesville. Um, you know, I applied to, to some of the Ivy League schools, and if I'd gotten in, maybe I would have gone I was told that I probably wouldn't get into UVA. I was not a very good test taker, even though my grades were 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 good, and I was very involved in the in in politics. But um, I, it was never a thought in my mind. I really, from that trip in high school all the way through, um, I fell in love with the place, and and I loved law school. I had a tragedy that took place. My a friend of mine who ended up dating my sister, um, he got cancer and um passed away and but i was going back and forth to seattle where he had his bone marrow transplant and as you know because tom a hero to my sister uh, and to to the to the cancer world started shootout cancer uh, and was really you know part of 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 what you did it was for a teammate but it was also to honor people like sam who, who lost his life he was a uva grad um, so the, the law school experience started off in just a unique way, um, but but I I got to live with you and you and I had this just extraordinary uh, kinship and bond during um, your your fourth year. My I guess it was my sixth year at the time 
on Rugby Road. I live on Rugby Road now. I walk down. I think about you all the time. And and that that year, and, and, and Breener used to come over, and we'd watch whatever Party of Five or whatever the crazy show was. My my world, even though I was I was in, engaged heavily in the law school, I was active in the mood court. I became really involved in the softball scene, but I still kept gravitating back towards the undergraduate community, specifically the AMPs. I was active in the Raven Society. And so my law school experience really got intertwined with um, with the undergrad experience. And I, I just kept gravitating back that those Sunday nights at, in the chapel, I, I couldn't miss them. I loved them. I loved being engaged in them. You know, Courtney Page and Katie Mack, I'm throwing out names, which is hysterical, but the younger set and that y'all weren't that much younger than me, but y'all were living this just incredibly vibrant uh, university experience. I was over at the law school. I couldn't get enough of it. And y'all enabled me to do that through, through the M society. Well, I'd like to say that I was the first person who saw your potential in the field of law, because you probably don't even remember. I was on your payroll my fourth year that you would go out and buy a six pack of Meisterbrow and I would sit, I think on a bean bag in your room while you worked on your moot court uh, opening statements. And you would give your opening statements to me to think about how stupid a choice that was to have a dumb athlete who can't add anything at all to your game. And I just sat there and you talked as if I was in the court and I, sat and I drank and we were happier than pigs in mud. But so I remember that like it was yesterday and the whole, uh, your love of the law too. I also remember your love of softball and I couldn't understand how you could be getting the grades you were getting in law school, yet you spent more time with the softball team than anything else. So that was like unsolved mysteries. It was, it, you know, it was a part of the law school cultural experience. But that was, I, I, again, I was a frustrated athlete. I was a tennis player, basketball player in high school. And, um, and I, you know, I played intramurals. I won an intramural championship, which, again, I'm telling this to All-American who's got player of the year behind him, Gatorade player of the year. But it was, you know, I, I missed it. And law school, the outlet was softball. And I did. I was on six teams. My, my, when we were living together, I couldn't get away from playing it. I, it was just part of the collegiality of the law. And back to the, the story, the perspectives. Again, you came with a different perspective, allowing you to hear my mood court trained me in, in really um, in, in finding people to uh, uh, shoot off ideas and shoot off arguments. And the M Society taught me that you people from all walks of life, you're not going to get a jury of lawyers. You're going to get a jury of real people. And to have real people give you input was super important. And it, and it followed through when I, before I went to a jury trial, I would go to, um, I would go to lawyers in my law firm and give them, uh, uh, you know, uh, part of my, my opening statements. I would go to the mailroom clerk. I would go to, paralegals. I would go to all walks of life. And the M Society was all walks of life. It was, it was a cross section of, of everybody. So it, you'd think it was funny that, that I would, that would pick, you know, the, the, the great uh, Tom Hensky in terms of goalkeeper. But to me, you, you kept it real. And uh, the athletes and the other people and all sorts of, whether it was honor, judicial, or whatever it was, people kept it real for me. And that was super important for my career. So you went from those intense opening arguments on the third floor in our house to being at McGuire Woods. And I think that might be the first and only job you've had since college. Is that right? Since, is that probably since 1995? Since 1995, since 1994, I wanted to go to work for my dad. And my dad, who was a legendary trial lawyer, and he said, look, he is a small firm. And he said, you could, you can always go from a big firm to me, but you can't go from me to a big firm. And he picked McGuire Woods for me. And, and it, I, you know, I've only thought about leaving a, a couple of times to go with him and it wasn't right for him or me. And McGuire Woods got the best of both worlds. They got me and they got him. 
And then, and, and I, I got a platform that has allowed me to do just the most remarkable things in the law. And, and it's been an extraordinary run uh, for me, mostly in the pro bono arena. I, I get to represent some of the great companies and, and people in the, in the world. I mean, I really have had this dream um, career so far, but the pro bono world has been where I've, I've, the McGuire Woods has allowed me to have the greatest impact. So uh, you won't toot your own horn, but I will. I know inclusion in the best lawyers in America, your department chair, uh, energy law, right? Is that you spending a lot of time in the energy space too? I do. I, I love alternative energy, um, but I, I started in coal, went to gas. I still am an oil and gas lawyer, but I'm big into solar, big into wind, um, big into biofuels. I drive a Tesla, I have solar on my roof. I, I, I'm... I'm a huge believer in the alternative energy sector and have been for uh, now over a decade. I met a visionary early on, a gentleman by the name of Sandy Reisky, and and he is he has really helped me uh, through just understanding not just the necessity of it, but the economics of it. But so th all those things, that was nice. But I really, the, the pro bono, I, I go back to that because it really has back to the imp society. Now, I know Ross said it in his that we, he wished that we could have done more. But, I, you know, we were, we were all very busy and we did do some extraordinary things. I mean, shootout cancer is one of the great stories of the university community coming together that you started that's gone on for forever and, and the amount of money that we raised and the awareness, not just the money, the awareness um, that was raised uh, through your efforts. Again, I, translating that through my career, I've had the ability to you know, sue the state of Virginia on a, in a catalyst class action that, that brought to the spotlight the um, automatic suspension of license for failure to pay court fines and, and costs. And we ultimately convinced the, the legislature to change the law and a half a million people got their licenses back. Um, I've been involved in the, the seminal case for human trafficking in America and Kansas. And I would not have had those opportunities um, but for McGuire Woods or the platform of it. But, but back to it, I, I, I may have been able to get there through my dad really instilled this idea of in Judaism, it's called tikkun olam, you know, really trying to heal the world and doing good things. But the M Society, again, the watching the people go do great things because they are great people that were part of the M Society, again, continued to resonate through the course of, of uh, my career and my life. I, I really firmly believe that we have these, we've got these, these gifts, whether they're God-given or whether they were taught. Um, and these relationships that we were given through the M Society and the university, and we have the ability to go out and do good and change the world. And I, I've seen it throughout a number of the imps um, in their career and what they've been able to do. And it's, it's incredibly inspiring to me to be able to, to try to give back to the law. You know, thinking back, you were talking about shootout cancer. I always felt like uh, you and I were Batman and Robin on that one. <laughs> and uh, you were always the voice of reason. Because Let me give you an example. So we were making all this money for charity, for the American Cancer Society, right? Uh, and it was coming in faster than I think we ever thought it could. Uh, and then one day we were hanging out and you asked me, so what are you doing with all that money? And I had you come into my room and I had a Lanzara cleat box or a couple of them. And literally I had shoe boxes filled of cash for like small bills from bar nights out, shirt sales, because I, we weren't using checks. I don't know what the heck we were doing. And you said to me, you said, uh, Tiski, do you think you should maybe put up in a bank and I looked at you and I go I don't know do you think I should <laughs> so then you, you made me go down to University Avenue I don't even remember the name of the bank you said look tell them a sob story and they'll probably let you open it for free because I think you had to pay for bank accounts back then and then we put I think probably twenty thousand dollars in small unmarked bills in uh in the bank right 
it was crazy. This guy's from, you know, New York and he's got a bag full of, full of cash and coins. There were tons of coins too. And we're sitting there on the floor of Florida. I'm thinking, what is this? A mafia scene? This is the craziest thing in the world. Took this money and put it in the bank. I think it was Jefferson National Bank. I think you went down to the corner. I, I, mean, I remember it like it was yesterday. It was so long ago. It was crazy. Uh, it, it was, and it was, but it was fun, and it was, it was utilizing the platforms to do good, and utilizing the the relationships and the contacts, and and you you exemplified it. It was so beautiful uh, what you did, and and keeping keep, keeping it going. And you know, I'll be remiss, you know. Sam, your your daughter and, and my daughters have hit it off. And this watching the next generation, and we're lucky. And I, again, Fleming's uh, daughter, um, Lila, and the girls are like, you know, triplets. And, and watching our generation have the next generation and seeing us being able to impart on them this ability to utilize uh, platforms to do good is it's extraordinary. And watching your daughter do some of the things that she's done in, in COVID or Alex doing her hundred activities. It's super special to see what was ingrained in us being passed on. So it's, it's really kudos and to you and, and instilling that in your, your children and, and allowing your children to, to interact with the, the blankets as Tony Irving likes to call them, the blankets. The world is all like perfect, right? When the kids get along, because it's it's one thing for us as adults to still have these great relationships and get along, but it really comes through when you start to see our kids hanging out and having fun and it's totally natural and not forced. And you say, okay, that's like the world is conspiring in our favor and this is like awesomeness. So uh, I totally agree. So now what's what's next for you? Okay, we talked about your your law. And we talked about a lot of things. We talked about politics. What else do you want to accomplish? What's left? I really I'm, I'm looking for the next cause, so to speak, to to attack in the law, most likely dealing with racial injustice issues. And I haven't figured that out yet. It, it may pivot equally on the climate issues and alternative energy, Gray McLean is and and Sarah are doing just such phenomenal things in that that arena. And so I I I really am looking for the next cause. I, I still have some cleanup stuff on the license suspension. Um, but I think I think u- utilizing the the platform to do good um, is still still what really inspires me. And whether that takes me into the political arena or not. I don't know, but but use, utilizing the platform and utilizing the relationships to try to make a meaningful change and and, and make a difference is is still super important and what it really gets me going every single day. You know, one of my uh, goals for this podcast is to connect us on things like that. What I'm hoping is that people are listening to this podcast, people within the imp world, the imp fossils, and maybe even some of the current imps, that they hear one of these interviews and they say, wow, I'm into that too. I've got to call them and see if we could do something together. And I think that that's one of the... Um, great benefits of our group is we do have a group of dynamic people out there that should be doing great things together and should be working together. And by the way, it's fun to work together. So I, I hope um, what you just said resonates with someone out there and they they take it, they give you a call and they say, hey, let's just take this to the next level. I'm call. I, I agree. I mean, it, you know, call and call me. And if it's not me, if it's one degree of separation we can connect again Pam Finehour is another person that, was, uh, that, that I, I think of doing just great things and and watching people you know do these great things but they do it not by themselves they, they, they are so much better when they do it as a team uh, and and it's you know it's extraordinary to see some of the things that that our team imp uh, uh, accomplish accomplish it has accomplished and continues to accomplish what do you tell the current imps today if you want to give them a sage piece of advice or anything what would you say 
So the first is I, I, I feel terrible for them that they have gone through this year in, in a COVID world. And I hope that they come out of it um, and not look at it in, as if it was any bit less of a, an incredible experience than we have had and have. And so I, I, I tell them, look, I'm, I'm sorry that you had to deal with this, but I, you deal with adversity and you can come out the other side and have great accomplishments. And, and the sky's the limit. Do not, um, do not cap your or, or limit yourself in what you think that you can do. You can achieve just extraordinary things. And, and you do so, um, 90% of it showing up. And uh, part of it is just utilizing those relationships to do great things. Don't be afraid to ask, uh, but really imagine the impossible and go try to, to achieve the impossible. You're, you're one hour farther away from accomplishing it uh, if you don't start right now. And so if you're thinking about it, go do it. Just, just go do it and utilize the team around you to do it. So that, that would be, there's a lot of things in that packed in that I threw through to you, but I would really tell them to go, go solve the world. We shouldn't have this vaccination uh, stagnation in terms of rollout that we had. We we're going to have another pandemic and we should be so much more prepared. Go figure out a way to create the systems to do this better so that we don't have to live through it the way that we live through it. Go invent something new, go help people out. Don't let people starve. Don't let racial injustice continue. You can do it if you just start doing it. So go do it, go do it. Man, that's awesome. You still are the most caring, loving guy ever, man. <laughs> it's unbelievable. You don't change one bit. You're now, Great husband, great father, killing it at work, doing great things, man. Wow. Total success story. And you're just getting going. You're just getting going. So this was awesome. I loved, loved, loved having you. Tiski, you're my brother. The third floor will always live on. And I love you. And I love that you're doing this. And thank you for, for helping us reconnect and connect uh, forever. JTB in the house. Thanks for being a part of it, my man. Look forward to it was fun. seeing you down in Charlottesville this year as soon as this we get done with this pandemic. Can't wait to see you in the fam. Next generation, Spence. Next generation. Love you. Talk to you soon. Love you. Hi there. Tom here. Before I let you go, I want to tell you about my other podcast, Total Sense. As you may know, after my time as an imp, I went on to become a financial advisor. Okay, stop laughing. Don't act so surprised. In each episode, I share advice to parents about how to talk to kids about money. As a parent, I know how difficult that money conversation can be, so I hope you'll listen and find it helpful. It's Total Sense, C-E-N-T-S, as in money, Available anywhere you get your podcasts.